We are now at the stage for the closing statements and as agreed to by a coin toss, <coughs> Senator Abraham will give his closing statement last. So we begin with a 90 second closing statement from Congresswoman Debbie Stabenow. Thank you to Grand Valley, to all those who participated and are watching, to Spencer Abraham for participating as well. It would be my great honor to be in the United States Senate and bring all of my experience and the values. In the year 2000, then Congresswoman Debbie Stabenow was making a play for a U.S. Senate seat. And she was running against an incumbent, Republican Senator Spence Abraham. Spencer Abraham came into the, the Congress. They voted a huge tax cut paid for by Social Security and Medicare. It's an important moment in history because in 2000, Debbie Stabenow became the first woman from Michigan elected to the Senate. She's currently the longest serving member of Congress from Michigan. We will win and Michigan will keep moving forward. I believe that. She's also the ranking Democrat on one of the most powerful committees in Washington, the Senate Agriculture Committee. We stayed focused on strengthening our nation's diverse agriculture economy and the 16 million jobs it supports. 16 million jobs. Madam President, this is a jobs bill for America. Her institutional knowledge is vast. And now, after 22 years holding the seat, Debbie Stabenow says she'll retire when her fourth term ends in 2025. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. Today, we're talking about what Senator Stabenow has accomplished in her time and what this news means for the Senate race in 2024. Senior Capitol Correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network, Rick Pluta, joins us now to pour the tea. So, Rick, was this unexpected, you'd say? I would put this into the zone of not expected, but not surprising either, that uh, Debbie Stabenow has had a long run. She's in her 70s, and uh, this is a really good time, not just for her personally, but also for Democrats to uh, uh, be able to fill this vacancy, that she's going to be retiring in a presidential cycle. Uh, Democrats will have you know, a, a nominal advantage in a uh, swing state like Michigan. She can be influential in choosing her successor, and it leaves time to maybe narrow the field so that uh, a uh, the, the primary is not so brutal that it gets in the way of winning the general. You know, for Democrats, obviously, Republicans are going to have their own plans and their own aspirations for uh, winning this seat for the the first time, as you said, in, in, you know, really a generation. So it's a big signal on both sides of the aisle. And suffice to say, these are the big picture calculations that come into play with something like this. I sure hope I don't have to work into my 70s. Not so bad if you love your job. I suppose. And we know that we know she does. Um, we talk about long serving senators. However, I think a little differently now than we did maybe 20 years ago. I mean, Rick, back in the day, it wasn't crazy unusual to have senators serving into their 80s. But I notice more recently questions have come up about senators like Dianne Feinstein and whether their age and medical conditions may have made them less effective. Do you think that Debbie Stabenow was mindful of some of that as she was making this decision? Oh, I mean, I have no inside knowledge, but I have no doubt that, uh, you know, that was part of it uh, as well, that she said that she is 
planning to move into another uh, type of public service uh, after she's done with the Senate. Mm-hmm. It will not be elected office. So, I mean, she's not done. And I don't think that she's the kind of person who would ever entirely, uh, entirely stop working. For sure. You know, keep in mind that she's been doing this, you know, um, since her her 20s, you know, pretty much. Uh, I mean, she's been in politics since she was in college getting her master's degree. Yeah. What can we say about Debbie Stabenow's accomplishments in the U.S. Senate? In the U.S. Senate, um, that she wasn't really associated with, you know, there's not like a big Stabenow uh, bill that uh, um, will carry on once she's done. But she did um, big, big work for Michigan in particular as chair of the uh, Agriculture Committee, uh, fully the Senate Committee on Agriculture, Nutrition and Forestry, which means that she had her hand in a lot of pots when it came to things like not just helping agriculture in Michigan. And by the way, we should point out that even though she's from Lansing, East Lansing, she is a daughter of Claire in uh, northern Michigan. So she worked on the farm bill, which means not just farm subsidies, but women, infant and children programs, food stamps, you know, just basically a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of work that uh, helps, uh, you know, underserved families with things like, uh, you know, like uh, nutrition. Yeah, um, I, I don't mean to be a punster, but I mean, these are kitchen table issues. It's stuff that stuff that really kind of resonates, even though it's not the sexiest of policy issues. Mm-hmm. No, and and uh, you know that 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 she is a good parliamentarian. She knows how to uh, you know she knows how to get things done. We need to take a break. More in just a minute. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from the University of Michigan's Go Blue Guarantee, committed to keeping a U of M undergraduate education within reach of all Michigan residents, regardless of socioeconomic status. Programs are available for all three campuses. More at goblueguarantee.umich.edu. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Do you remember, like, what was happening, what was going on the last time this seat was open when Debbie Stabenow won? Well, let's uh, let's let's talk about that. You know, Debbie Stabenow's political history is one of running for swing seats and unseating uh, Republicans. In the Michigan Senate, she didn't unseat a Republican, but she replaced a Republican when uh, she won that in uh, won that seat in 1990. Um, let's go back to 2000 when she was first elected to the Senate. Um, she beat incumbent uh, Senator uh, Spence Abraham, uh, you know, a Republican close ally of John Engler, former state Republican Party chair. And then she went on to be reelected in 2006, 2012, 2018, um, beating in succession uh, Oakland County Sheriff Mike Bouchard, Michigan Congressman Pete Hoekstra, and uh, most recently uh, John James. So, you know, that, that, that she knows how to beat Republicans and then uh, hang on to those seats once she's uh, won them. 
It feels like some things might be different now in terms of, I mean, maybe the political culture, but certainly also how money moves through politics. I mean, we're post-Citizens United. Can we assume that the race to replace Debbie Stabenow would be a big spender? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would, I, I would, uh, I would uh, say so. You know, Michigan is a swing state. It's a uh, large state and it's a competitive state. And so I think money, money, money will be a big deal. Yeah. Now, let us speak of candidates, Rick. I mean, marquee race, a uh, lot of money involved. Who are some names that come to mind when you think about people in public life right now who might be interested in, in taking Debbie Stabenow's seat? Okay. Uh, first of all, we should make clear that no one has announced. And so, you know, there's, there's that. Uh, do you want to hear my list of names of possibilities? No one has, you know, like I said, no one has announced. Okay, Democrats, Gretchen Whitmer, Mallory McPeep, Buttigieg, Alyssa Slotkin, Mark Hackle, Garland Gilchrist, Haley Stevens, Jocelyn Benson, <laughs> Republicans, <laughs> Betsy DeVos, Tudor Dick, Justin Amash, Bill Heisinger, Tom Barrett, Tim Walbert, Lisa McClain, Peter Meyer, Perry Johnson, Mike or Laura Cox, Bill Schuette, or some other array of uh, MAGA candidates who maybe, uh, you know, ran for governor in the last cycle. Good grief. I mean, you can't say we don't have something of a field right now. Okay, but uh, among all the those names you mentioned, some of them are, are uh, state legislators, some of them are statewide office holders, some of them are serving in federal office right now. Given your experience of statewide primaries for something as big as a Senate race, could someone like a state senator rack up enough name recognition and support to really break through? So you're asking about Mallory McMorrow. I want every child in this state to feel seen, heard, and supported, not marginalized and targeted because they are not straight, white, and Christian. We cannot let hateful people tell you otherwise to scapegoat and deflect from the fact that they are not doing anything to fix the real issues that impact people's lives. And I know that hate will only win if people like me stand by and let it happen. Sure. Okay. So already, you know, in the state Senate has built not just a statewide following, but a uh, national following for, um, you know, being a fighter for uh, abortion rights and LGBT rights in the uh, state Senate, um, delivering uh, some powerful remarks against a Republican state senator who, uh, you know, talked about uh, uh, you know, some politicians who groom children. Uh, you know, and, Her and, comments and totally sort of went viral. They I mean, viral. a lot of people outside Michigan know who she is now. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, she's got the fundraising clout to prove it, not just fundraising on her own behalf, but on behalf of other candidates, both in Michigan and across the country. So she's, I mean, she's in it. Uh, She just has to, you know, has to make a decision, obviously. But I mean, she's not the only one. You know, Alyssa Slotkin has won a uh, a tough seat in uh, mid-Michigan, um, Haley Steele, you know, Haley Stevens, the uh, same. Uh, I don't know, have been given no signal that uh, Gretchen Whitmer would be uh, interested uh, in it. But uh, obviously, as the, uh, you know, biggest uh, statewide, uh, uh, you know, as the highest statewide elected official, that uh, her name would have to be on uh, anyone's list. Uh, Tudor Dixon ran for governor last time around, and uh, she seems to be showing no signs of, if not giving up, at least uh, wanting to give up. Uh, Betsy DeVos would be a natural. She has never run for anything before, but, you know, 
she has served in a presidential candidate, and a U.S. Senate uh, seat is not a small thing. And obviously, you know, with uh, her personal wealth, that she could basically be a. Uh, since he lost in a Republican primary, that begs the question of whether he could win a uh, statewide Republican primary. I mean, mm-hmm. the same is true of Justin Amash, who we've heard about recently for uh, you know standing outside the halls of uh, Congress and uh, you know sort of promoting himself as a compromise candidate for uh, Speaker of the House. But, you know, that's not going to happen since he left the Republican Party and declared himself an independent. And is an independent. Well, that was my next question was, is a Senate race the kind of opportunity where somebody who's outside of elected office can make a splash? I mean, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg is serving in the Biden administration right now. But, you know, Michigan voters have never voted for him before. And then you do have Justin Amash and Peter Meyer out there mm-hmm. as either Republicans or independents. I mean, is this is this the kind of place in Michigan? Is there any is there uh, any history of people who are not statewide office holders making it big? Um well, I mean, in, in the U.S. Senate, uh, not that, uh, you know, not that I can recall. I mean, the last one would be uh, Spencer Abraham, whose position, you know, he'd never held an elected office before he ran for the Senate. But he was he was prominent and he had experience with things like uh, like fundraising. But, you know, keep in mind, too, that. This is an open seat, which means that, you know, unless an heir apparent appears, that we could see a crowded Democratic primary, we could see a crowded Republican primary, and just look at the last race for governor, that where you have a crowded primary, that means that a dark horse can emerge and win to become the to become the nominee. As Tudor Dixon did, right. Do you, do you think, though, this really does make the 2024 election in Michigan any more consequential than it was already going to be in a presidential year? Yes. I mean, you know, look, that that this is a United States Senate seat. Uh, we're a swing state, and uh, that makes this a consequential election, that we will get more national attention than we were going to get otherwise because people are going to be looking at Michigan in a closely held Senate. It could be very, very consequential. And that's the Stateside Podcast. I'm April Baer. You can find full Stateside episodes at michiganradio.org. They're there for streaming anytime. Today's podcast was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kabansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you. See you next time. Bye-bye.